Well, good morning. I want you to take God's Word this morning and turn with me. Come on. Can you hear me? Okay, so turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. Now, that's probably in a section of your Bible where the pages may be stuck together. And so if you uh, want to find the quick way there, you can always look at the table of contents and look up the page number, or you can just turn to the end of the New Testament where you find the book of Revelation. And from Revelation, you start turning backwards to your left, and you'll cross over the book of Jude and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And right in front of those three letters from John, you'll find 2nd Peter. Now, I want to speak to you today about faith that leads to confidence. Such wonderful songs we've sung this morning that speak about the confidence we have in our faith in Christ. And nothing is more important to us as we go through the highs and lows of life than having confidence in our faith. Now, the Apostle Peter spent the last few years of his life in a Roman prison and he was executed in the 14th year of Emperor Nero's reign, held as a prisoner in Rome uh, around the time of 66 AD. And so when he writes these letters, he's writing to the churches uh, who are located uh, over in the area of uh, uh, northern central Asia there, around uh, the area of Turkey, Cappadocia and Pontus and some uh, regions there in that area of the Middle East. And when he writes these letters to them, he, he writes two letters from prison. The first letter, 1 Peter, is a letter that he writes to them and he's writing to them from prison, and he's talking to them about the persecution that they're experiencing. And he's saying, you know, we experience oppression from the outside, pressures that come upon us, and here's a man who is sitting on death row. He's definitely qualified to talk to people who are suffering because of their faith. And so he is saying to them, I want to encourage you, and I want you to remember, we're not supposed to feel at home in this world. Now, if you can be a Christian and you can feel totally at home in this world, let me tell you there's something wrong with your faith. You're going to feel pressure as long as you're a part of this world system. And so what he says to them, he says, I don't want you to be discouraged because of that. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to remember this world's not our home. We're citizens of heaven. Our future homeland is heaven. And so he encourages them because they were experiencing pressure from without. Now, you might wonder, well, what about this second letter that he writes to him? Well, about a year later, while he's still in prison, now this would be basically Peter's last will and testament. He writes this final letter, 2 Peter, but he writes about a different subject here. Instead of talking about the pressure that comes from without, he talks about the pressures that come upon us as believers from inside the church. And he's writing to them and he's saying to them, I want you to be aware that there are people who will come into the church and they preach a false gospel. And the only way you can fight a false gospel is with the knowledge of God and the true gospel. And so when he writes this letter to them, 
he says to them, I want you to understand that though you'll be facing false teaching, you need to maintain Christian virtue in the midst of this uh, world's vice that is all around us and people who would be tempted to draw us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was thinking as I came to the book of 2 Peter, how do we relate to a book that is written to a group of people in another land at another time? And just a few thoughts about that before we read our text. You know, we all go through difficult times. Uh, There are trials that we experience, and they seem to hit us hardest when the source of our trials is from something or someone close to us. I mean, when you think about it, in our personal lives, it could be a tumultuous marriage, it could be an unwed daughter's unexpected pregnancy or an abusive relationship with a relative. But it also holds true in the church. Believers can create dissension especially in the areas of relationships and theology. And to guard against that kind of discord, our knowledge of God through his word is the first line of defense against the conflicts that threaten to tear us apart. I want you to follow along with me as we dive into the book of 2 Peter. And this morning we'll begin our reading At verse 1, this morning I'm speaking to you about faith that leads to confidence. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Now, the text tells us in verse 1, this is a letter written from Simon Peter. 
Simon was his name before he was saved. Peter was his name after he was saved. Simon, before he was saved, was unstable. He was impetuous. He was hot-tempered. He was profane. But now, he's writing to us, and he's maturing his faith, and he talks about our common faith. Three things we should know about this faith. First of all, faith that leads to confidence is faith that knows. The word knowledge, if you were following the text, appears in our text several times. And in fact, in this letter that he writes, this second letter, in one form or another, this word knowledge appears some 15 times in the three short chapters of the letter of 2 Peter. Now, if you want to have a faith that leads to confidence, he says you need to know something. Assurance doesn't flow from simple feeling. It's a result from knowledge. Now, the Greek word for knowledge that Paul uses here is a word that he uses four times. It's used about a dozen times in the New Testament. Uh, the word gnosko means to know, but the word that Peter uses here is the word epigonosko or epigonosis. And what he's talking about there is he's talking about a super knowledge. He's talking about a clear knowledge. He's talking about that kind of knowledge that's experiential and personal. It goes beyond just knowing about something it is knowing it from personal experience. And so in verses 1 through 4, what Peter does is he distills the essence of the gospel for us. And you'll notice that as you read through those verses, it all is central to Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of the gospel. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus personally? Paul said, toward the end of his life, writing to the Philippian believers, he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. The book of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32, in that verse we read, but the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Jesus himself, when he was praying for his disciples, at the time of his betrayal, as he is interceding on behalf of his disciples, Jesus prays in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is having personal, experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? When I get to heaven, 
I am going to meet someone face to face that I've already known heart to heart. And I want you to look at this passage of Scripture. When he speaks to us, he speaks about knowing Christ personally and experiential, experientially. And this is the key to faith that leads to confidence. Now, I said he's speaking about the essence of the gospel. And I want you to notice some things that he brings to the forefront. First of all, he says pardon is given through knowledge of the grace of the Lord. Look at verse 2. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast about it. Pardon is given through the knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus. But also peace comes through knowledge of him. Look at verse 2 also again. Grace in the gospel always precedes peace. The Bible tells us over in the book of Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. And yet he says to us, the wonderful good news of the gospel is that peace comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, is he speaking to these people about how to have a faith that leads to confidence. He says to them, remember that Abraham, who preceded the law, Abraham received righteousness, or righteousness was put to his account because he believed God. He said, just as Abraham had righteousness put to his account, even so, righteousness is put to our account on the basis of our faith in Christ. And so he writes, we have been declared righteous by faith, therefore we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pardon is given through the knowledge of the grace of our Lord, Peace comes through knowledge of him. And then notice also, he says in verse 3, divine power comes through knowledge of him. Let's read again, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Jesus has already given us everything we need. <laughs> All is in him, and he is in you. Divine power comes through the knowledge of him. And then he says, great and precious promises are also claimed by knowledge. Look at verse 4. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. We share in the divine nature. Now, you know, there are certain television shows and programs and also in the real world. They're doing a number of things in the forensic world where they are able to not only trace a person's ancestry, but also to trace find trace evidence of persons by studying a person's DNA. 
what he is saying here in the fourth verse is one of the precious promises we have is that we share the DNA of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith that leads to confidence is faith that knows some things, but it all begins with knowing someone. But I want you to notice, secondly, that faith that leads to confidence is not only faith that uh, knows, but faith that grows. Now, while there's nothing for us to earn, there's much for us to learn. Later in this letter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle writes these words. He exhorts us. He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, writing over in his second letter to Timothy, says in 2 Timothy 2.15, listen to these words, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Notice in verse 5, Peter's use of a phrase there in verse 5, the phrase, just underline it because he uses it more than once, he uses three words, he says, make every effort. Now while there is nothing to earn, there is much to learn. And so he goes on and he writes in verses 5 through 7, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, that's moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly love, brotherly kindness and love. Now we are not saved by faith and works. That's not what Peter is saying here. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but what Peter is saying here is while we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ is never alone. It's always accompanied by the character of God revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not saved by faith in works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But no one who is not a growing Christian, now that's an awkward sentence. I've tried to work on this sentence for a long time. No one who is not a growing Christian will ever be sure or confident in their faith. Faith that leads to confidence is faith that grows. And then I want you to notice thirdly with me that faith that leads to confidence is faith that shows. Faith that shows. When we begin to grow, Peter writes, we'll no longer be barren. Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep, it will, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
What he's saying there is we will begin to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. Is there fruit in your life? Do people love Jesus more because you're in their life? Are people coming to Jesus because of you? Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in my name, he will give you. When we begin to grow, our faith begins to show. We bear spiritual fruit. That which is born of the Spirit of God, that which points to God and glorifies Him, and that which shows the Lord Jesus Christ and draws people to Christ. When we begin to grow, we will no longer be barren. And when we begin to grow, we'll no longer be blind. Look at verse 9. It says in verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Scripture says to us that a person can be saved and blind to it. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. Read it for yourself. We can get so bogged down by the things of this world, Peter writes, that we lose sight of heaven and we lose sight of what it was like for us to be forgiven our own sins. Now, when we begin to grow, we'll no longer be blind. And when we begin to grow, we will no longer be bewildered. Look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. He's talking about a faith that leads to confidence. Now, he's not talking about being sure from God's point of view. That's settled in heaven. He's talking about us being confident from our point of view. You know, a Christian can live like a question mark or an exclamation point. If you're a Christian living like a question mark, your head is bent over with doubts because of all the things that are in your life that ought not to be there. You're not a growing Christian. Therefore, you're not confident in your faith. You're bogged down by the things of the world, so your head's bent over like a question mark. But when we grow, and when our faith begins to show, we stand straight like an exclamation point, our eyes forward, our shoulders square. We're looking forward to all that God has for us in the future. After one of America's first lunar landings, one of the astronauts who walked on the moon was interviewed. And the reporter asked this question. When you walked on the moon, what were you thinking? 
And the astronaut answered, I was thinking that machine that was supposed to take me back to Earth was built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> Friends, our faith was not purchased by the lowest bidder, but it was bought by the blood of our Lord Jesus, the Lamb without spot or blemish. Now, that won't get us from the moon to earth. But it'll take us all the way from earth to heaven. Faith that leads to confidence is a faith that knows some things. It is a faith that grows. It is a faith that shows. Let's pray. Lord, as I reread these words, I notice in the first verse this important statement to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so worthy of our praise and our worship. And so we come to a time right now where we can't do anything as your children, as followers of yours, except to inspect our hearts closely and to realize that you have done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. Father, forgive us for getting so bogged down in the things of the world. Lord, forgive us for getting to that point where we can be around others and others not even know that we belong to you. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would fill us, that you would occupy our minds and our hearts, that you would fill us to the full so that you would be glorified and you would be honored and so that if today were the day we were to go and meet you, Lord, that would be a happy reunion. You know, today... If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him personally. If you will just say to him, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. I ask you to come in and forgive me for my sin. I take you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to come in and save me right now. Would you make that your prayer today? Today, would you say as a believer in Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, you bought me. I've been bought with a price. Lord Jesus, today, I want to glorify you in my body. I present my body on the altar. I know that you need a vessel to work through, and so I lay my body on the altar as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice acceptable to you. Today, as we stand together right now in prayer, would you just talk to the Lord Jesus during this time of decision and response?